0: Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast, hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. This episode is brought to you by Altia ABM, a global leader in specialist software for use in the fight against crime and the management of covert and intelligence operations. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Renée Francaire, the editor of Blue Line magazine. Thanks for tuning in to our second episode. We'll be continuing with our cybercrime and financial investigation topic. Today, we're speaking with Nick Ibbitt, a retired police detective with 30 years of experience with York Regional Police in Ontario. Nick has recently founded Lead Solutions Incorporated, which specializes in training and consulting on digital investigations and cybersecurity for law enforcement and investigative agencies. Lead stands for Law Enforcement Advanced Development Solutions. Nick, thanks for joining us here in the studio.
0: Well, thank you, Renee, for having me on this podcast. It's amazing that I'm part of the the push into the digital landscape for Blue Line. I'm sure. Your listeners now and your readers were would be excited to hear about all the new content that they can hear about.
1: You bet! We're excited to be jumping into these uh, these podcasts as something new. So, trying to always be innovative over here, Nick.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, yes, indeed.
1: I know you retired just just a few months ago from the force. Congratulations!
0: Thank you very much.
1: So, so tell us a little bit more about you and that policing background of almost thirty years, right?
0: Yeah, I've, I surpassed 30 years and, and the big thing, Renee, was I was really fortunate uh, and I say fortunate that one, I survived my career of 30 years um, and um, when I started I had like a clear goal in my mind. Like I really wanted to be the best investigator I possibly, possibly could be and growing up in the 80s, TV shows were the thing. Like we had Miami Vice, you had Simon & Simon, you had all these TV shows that really, you know, it, it, uh, there were so, they were so impactful images on my mind that that's my goal. I wanted to be a police detective. So I was really fortunate during my time at York Regional Police, and over that 30 year time period, uh, most of my tenure was in investigative and undercover units and, uh, and positions in plain clothes and surveillance teams. In my last position, I was posted as a supervisor and investigator in, in our cybercrime and technical data recovery unit. So I kind of stepped into the virtual world of undercover work and still um, had all that experience in the on-the-ground investigation undercover and now that new form of digital investigation. Uh, so as I neared the end of my 30 years, I kind of knew there was a shift in investigating criminal offenses because now you had a lot more things taking place in the digital realm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, whether that was criminal in nature or not, there was a more of a digital connection with people. Because as technology came about, people were using that much more mm-hmm. digital connections on their daily lives. So they were relying on it too much. They were relying too much and they kept on going with it, right? So I knew there was a gap. There was a gap that existed in law enforcement when it came to finding training and awareness that was related to cyber crimes uh-huh. and digital investigative techniques. And that's when I recognized that I wanted to come back and provide services to the, you know, my brothers and sisters who were in law enforcement to help them and enhance their core functions and support them, and so that's why I founded Lead Solutions because I wanted to empower today's investigators to understand today's challenges and be able to solve tomorrow's problems.
1: Amazing, amazing! Congratulations Thank Thank on you. on leads too, because that's fresh. That just started the start of this year. Just started.
0: This started, year. started this uh, part of this year. Uh, I had formulated it. Um, uh, as my years came to conclusion, and mm-hmm. I knew that's where I wanted to be.
1: Beautiful, and, there, and there's clearly a real need. You've seen firsthand that there's an, a need for that. Yes. Um, but sorry, back to you. So I know you've you've come across clearly with those years um, and the experience, the different units you were in, uh, many cases involving financial crime. Uh, so so tell me a little bit more, you know, about that and. Uh, What what goes through your head when you hear the words financial crime or financial investigation?
0: Most of my time was in investigative units. So um, investigating crimes that were not just opportunity crimes, um, but crimes that had different parts to it. So when my career was in its infancy, you learn the basics, the fundamentals of solving crime and then as you get into other units and most of my experience was in drug trafficking enterprise offenses there's always a financial reason for drug dealing when you're in the enterprise thing if you're a user that's a different thing but if you are the trafficker the majority of the time you're in there to make money so there's the financial aspect of that when i think of financial crimes you know i think of two things i think of the financial crime where someone's being swindled out of money through deceit or falsehood. I mean, that's clearly the definition in the criminal code about uh, fraud. But I think of that type of crime. I think of how did that person who is this the suspect, obtain that money? And like I say, one of it's through deceit. And the other one is they already committed a criminal offense. and now they have the proceeds from that criminal offense, and now they're trying to, they're using that money to, you know, um, enhance their own lifestyle, buying cars, buying homes, and then they're masking uh, the way they got it through the proceeds angle. Yeah. And that's, the fu- that's when I think of those two financial crimes.
1: Gotcha. Perfect. What about, um, you know, you, your fellow uh, brothers and sisters you, you touched on there? What are some of the questions, the, the bigger, more common questions you're getting from police members these days?
0: There's been a massive increase over the last years about cybercrime in financial offenses. So you hear them on the news all the time, ransomware, um, romance scams, uh, and a lot of these new offenses, which aren't really new, but they're just now in, they're now in the forefront through the media and reporting and policing. Cybercrime is now that one that's really at the front. Cybercrime can be described in two categories. There's where technology is used to commit a traditional crime. So think of a fraud and then they use the computer to commit that fraud. That's technology where uh, it's being used to commit a traditional crime. And then you have technology where it is the target. Hmm. Then you think about computers that are being uh, hacked. Uh, You think about the exfiltration of data from companies after there's been uh, some type of breach. So that's where cybercrime gets defined. Now, your question was, what's the biggest question I have from law enforcement? It is, how do I investigate stuff like that? Because it sounds so technical, but there are some key fundamentals around that. We'll, We'll call it the cyber landscape. That is the questions I constantly were being asked uh, as a law enforcement professional, now in my uh, training hat, is the same thing. Because now we're talking about how do I attribute the crime to a person that used the device? Who is the who in the five W's and H, which is how we you know, gather information. So you have the who, what, where, when, and why. And the H stands for how. So now in the digital context, we're talking about how do I attribute this crime, cybercrime, where I never met the person. But now I have to figure out how am I going to find out who the person is behind the keyboard Uh or behind the device that's sending the message or in the hack. How do I attribute that crime to a person? And that is the question that needs to be answered. and allow the investigators to understand these are some techniques and ways in which you can do it. Still comes back to the fundamentals of investigating the five W's and the H, but those are the type of questions that I get all the time.
1: Which can be a pretty big overwhelming question, uh, especially as technology is evolving, right? So clearly that, that highlights this gap um, that, that we're seeing that you mentioned before in, in training. T- tell me a little bit more about this, this gap specifically.
0: That question's right up my alley, though, Renee. So I'll, I'll give you the basics. Uh, I'm sure it's not really that basic, but the, it, <laughs> the fundamentals of evidence gathering and, bre- and best practices are always going to be the key when you investigate any criminal offense. So the fundamentals of of uh, interviewing, the fundamentals of knowing what questions to ask, and knowing where to find the evidence. So with now technology-heavy case, heavy cases being the norm, you, know, you need additional training so that you can enhance that investigator's ability to understand the basics because that goes a long way. Understanding the basics, which I call the f- foundational parts of how to investigate things, give you the ability to be confident in your competencies. Mm. Once you understand your competencies and how do I investigate things, you become more confident on knowing you can go and investigate them. No different than, you know, Michael Jordan practicing 3,000 shots in a day. He was building his competencies so he could be confident on the court. Same thing comes in law enforcement. You You have to build your competencies so when those cases come at you, you're like, oh, I can do that, that's no problem. So fundamentals are always the key in the digital realm now. We're talking about open-source information that you can gather on the Internet. But knowing the fundamentals, of you still have to capture that information. Good note-taking. And how do you testify to what you found? Mm. Because one of my key mantras is it's not the day you do something, it's the day you testify to it that builds your reputation, your character, especially in law enforcement. Um, So you need those fundamentals. You need those foundational parts of it. Those are important things when it comes to digital investigation is understanding all those fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So when you have someone who is, and you, and you believe you now have reasonable grounds to believe that this is your subject involved in that cybercrime, you need to close the loop on the evidence. And that means seizing the devices and computers that they used. Gotcha. Because that now carries a whole different path in your investigative avenues. Because you have to write judicial authorizations to then search those devices, find the corroborating evidence that assists the crime that you were investigating, and then making sure that you're not falling prey to over searching. Overbroad searching is a term in the in the courts is where you spend you go through uh, areas of data that you weren't authorized to do. And those are all things that defense counsels are, are understanding and they are, are pursuing those avenues in criminal cases to attack the officers on their process.
1: I see and these are the type of tools you want to present to officers so they're not uh, overwhelmed, they're not missing uh, these types of things that you're seeing more and more in more and more cases.
0: Right, right and my pursuit, my passion is to give back to the officers all the stuff that I learned over my years Uh, and the things I learned from my own experience of being in court uh, testifying and learning from crowns and learning from defense counsels too and all of those uh, morsels of information that are stuck in my head Mm -hmm. that uh, I think are are important to pass along to uh, law enforcement uh, members from whatever category that you're working in.
1: So so we touched on, you know, you're seeing more and more of these types of cases. Uh, the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity warned in its most recent annual report that the the biggest online threat Canadians face is cybercrime and, and that includes uh, theft and fraud and extortion. Um, so' there, there's just so many examples out there. I know we were recently provided more details on the extortion case involving Tony Clement. Two individuals from Ivory Coast were charged last month over an attempt to extort the former conservative member of parliament in a sexting scandal. So, I mean, with just that example, walk, walk us through that from your perspective and that law enforcement lens uh, on this case.
0: When you, so this is how I think about it. So if you were to drop your wallet uh, on the ground uh, and it was stolen, I would consider that you know, a crime of opportunity. Like, there was no planning by the suspect. The opportunity to commit the crime literally, you know, happened in front of that person. And in the case of the extortion of Tony Clement and, you know, so many more in that similar kind of fashion, there are planned, offen- there are planned events by the offender. So when I say planned, there is most likely several stages. So there's the pre-planning stage, there's the execution of the offense, there's the post-execution, and then it's a repeat and rinse cycle because they're just going to go back again that suspect and and do it again because they're learning new things about it. So in that uh, extortion offense, then Tony Clement's situation is no different than a lot of them. During all of these stages, the offender I know left breadcrumbs of digital evidence. So as they you know traverse the suspect with the with the victim, traverse from one kind of online application to the next, they left digital breadcrumbs. They left ways in which law enforcement could attribute the crime to a person and a device.
1: Hmm. Hansel and Gretel.
0: Hansel and Gretel. And, <laughs> and the digital world now, everyone leaves a digital breadcrumb. In this case, and as I said, no different than a lot of other ways, it comes down to the fundamentals. You need to find out from your from your victim, how did they communicate? Ways in which they communicate? Solely on the internet? What application? You know, what kind of digital platforms did they communicate on? Whether it was a laptop or did they use a cell phone for text messaging? Are they continuing to talk to each other? As the victim continues to communicate with the suspect, once again you're leaving fresher breadcrumbs that could be found. And all of those are ways in which law enforcement can create attribution, create a way in which identifying that person that's subject to the crime. And then once you have that, you're into that whole judicial authorization part, a preservation demand, a preservation order to make sure where you think that breadcrumb is left, you know, the server at a, an internet service provider or a telecommunication provider, Preservation order is that way of telling them, hey, hold on to that data because I'm going to need it. And then from there you're going into a production order, at least in Canada we're talking about the tools, investigative tools we're using, you're heading towards that. And then at the end of the day it's closing the loop. Once you've identified your person, you've attributed the crime to that person, now it's about seizing those devices that they've potentially used and then and then following through with some search warrants and then uh, lawful searches of that device to find that data that will afford you evidence of the offense.
1: Hmm. So quite a few things to go yeah. through in your head as you're an investigator and something like this. It's and complicated. It
0: is complicated and you need to think about each step way in advance. It's the ABCDs like d- it, it, if you get stuck and you're only at the A stage, BC and D is just going to be a total different part for you. You need to think about well in advance how you're going to play these things out because there's ways, as I said, of attributing people to devices. And Mm -hmm. if you think ahead, you're like, oh, I have an opportunity here or there's information out there right now live that I can use and I just have to obtain it.
1: Perfect. What about for you? Is there, is there one case that kind of sticks with you that is particularly illustrative of the damage that, um, financial crimes can do? Or any other stories that uh, you had a memorable experience and you can share with us? I know you can't tell us much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, over my 30 years, I, I was involved in some amazing cases with some really amazing investigators. Um, and, and I loved being part of the team and we relied on each other to produce a great product at the end of the day. And our product and the product that I really love being part of is when you know when you got to court and you can give your information knowing that you had the foundation behind you. And sometimes it resulted in a conviction, sometimes not, but in the end, you know, I uh, I always wanted to uphold the values of what the public expects of police. And and I love the digging part of investigating, I mean, that was, you know, I still have some oars in the water per se, so I won't disclose the complainants or some of the, you know, key details of it, but, you know, the one of the cases I had that's memorable to me, only because, you know, when I think of what the cyber criminal did, like, they had this, you know, I'll give you the basics of it, mm-hmm. they had quite an elaborate scheme going on that, that lasted a period of time, and it's an Ontario company that um, you know fell prey to what's called a CEO scam. And that's where the cyber criminal poses as a legitimate business and then misleads the victim company to transfer money for a service or product that the complaining company was part of. So in this one, the, the victim company, you know, had a global presence. And they were getting products from all different parts of the world. The suspects ended up communicating with them, posing as a legitimate company that the victim company was dealing with. And over that period of time, email messages were going between the two. Now, the victim company, because they thought they were dealing with a legitimate company, didn't notice a little difference in the email address. That would have triggered in your mind, armchair quarterbacking, this isn't the real company I'm dealing with. But because of business and you're getting things done, I totally understand this happens, it happens in personal life, just the same, is you become complacent sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh And, And what had happened was over a period of time, there was an agreement made for services and products and the suspect company sent an email to the legitimate company, the victim company, said, okay, and you need to pay for the products now. But here's the here's the twist, The suspect company says is, you know, we're changing our banking in this country. Um, We've moved our banking to a different one. Can you wire the transfer of the money to this place?
1: Ah, Sneaky.
0: Very sneaky. And unfortunately, the victim company fell prey to it, and they transferred several hundred thousand dollars to this bank account. And as you can imagine, that bank account was emptied out shortly thereafter. From that perspective, the digging part comes in why... Uh, you know it's memorable to me is once we had found some of the information from the victim company email addresses communications you know I was able to do some online investigating and through that online investigating discovered that the suspect still yet to be identified but things are there's still oars in the water as I said to to make this case go forward that the suspects had created more than 10 other false website addresses that were similar to real companies. So you as potential client will go into the internet and then you will travel to this fake website and then what they do is then they begin communicating with you. Uh And you think you're dealing with legitimate only because there's one letter off or two letters off in the domain name of the company. So from that list of people, I was able to contact some of the legitimate ones that were similar to the fake, and I discovered that one company was almost defrauded of several hundred thousand dollars in United States money, but if it wasn't for the bank noticing some discrepancies, the money would have been transferred and would have been another large scale fraud.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: So that case shows that there was breadcrumbs left everywhere. So every one of those domain names has to be hosted by a domain company. The domain company has to get paid by a credit card. That credit card creates attribution to a person. Every time that person logs into that website, the bad person, to change or modify the website, that creates attribution because now they have to log in from a computer. So all these digital breadcrumbs, it's not just the day the offense took place, but like I had mentioned, there's the, pre, the pre-planning stage,
1: mm-hmm.
0: months in advance. So they probably were always going to that server and sending email. There's the execution time, which is over a period of time. There's the post-execution. I just finished a fraud, I need to clean up my mess. All these breadcrumbs. Connecting the dots. Connecting the, Connecting
1: dots. the dots. That's that's a fantastic story that really illustrates uh, you know, how to go about the investigative process. So, so tell me a little bit more about um, the future. Let's, let's look down the road, you know, um, what are your hopes when it comes to law enforcement uh, to tackling um, these types of digital um, issues and, and making those digital connections you mentioned earlier and, and essentially targeting uh, financial crime, taking that criminality out of it?
0: You know, uh, we, we still have to remember that um, a person's privacy is the most protected right in our country. We do take our privacy for granted many times in a day. Like we're clicking on uh, accept when we're on social media sites. We are giving away our privacy rights and when we use different platforms on the Internet. And we're doing that just for the sake of convenience the majority of that time. So a balance n- still needs to remain in place so that the public's perception is accurate of what law enforcement is doing. Law enforcement never wants to be seen as the wild, wild west. Like, we don't know what we're doing and, and you know, you mentioned the study um, that, that falls back from Stats Canada and Stats Canada did a study and the general public said they didn't have much faith in law enforcement investigating cyber offenses.
1: You're right. I remember that. Yeah.
0: And um, I know Blue Line, and, and that is telling because law enforcement still has to remind there's the flip side of the privacy coin. And, that we need, and then law enforcement needs to educate their own members about the available tools and techniques to tackle these crimes. But still in the same, same vein is understand there's a privacy issue. You know, private sector in particular like marketing, in the marketing arena, use digital connections all the time to track our habits. That's why you go onto a web browser and you see advertising on the left and right of whatever page you travel to. That is directly related to your shopping habits.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember the first time that happened, it was <laughs> extremely kinda.
0: <coughs> and you probably bought some things because I've fallen prey to the marketing
1: it's the true. marketing
0: beast as it is. So it's true. They do the marketing area does a lot of of research about our habits and they track our habits. So if law enforcement were to use private sector tools to create attribution or find attribution about a thing there has to be a clear understanding of how to use that data and it needs to be in a way in which it will prevent any unsavory perceptions by the general public. So going forward there is a lot of data out there floating around. In R versus Spencer, that was Supreme Court of Can- Canada decision about um, internet service providers and subscriber information, you know that really talked about data floating around and how do we at the end of the day attribute crimes when all this data is floating around so there are I hope for the future of law enforcement is that that they discover and use tools in a way in which law enforcement understands the privacy rights and keeps that fine balance so the general public doesn't think that law enforcement is Wild Wild West situation, and that they're doing things to make sure that we're still in that form of protecting the rights of people and core functions of protecting the public.
1: Hmm. Perfect, and that's a, a important part we, we kind of forget at the end of the day is that privacy and and we're we're serving the people. Yes. Right. So we will have the tools that we can do this as effectively as possible while also remembering uh, the privacy issue. Yes. So, Nick, thank you so much for, for joining us today and sharing your wealth of knowledge when it comes to Canadian law enforcement and cyber crimes, plus uh, the digital investigative techniques, uh, and really just chatting about where we need to go from here. Uh, your tips and stories will resonate with so many of our listeners, I am sure. Thanks for stopping by, and best of luck with the, your next chapter in training and consulting.
0: Thank you very much, Renee.
1: Thanks to everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed the second episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Stay safe, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast, hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. This episode was brought to you by Altia ABM, a global leader in specialist software for use in the fight against crime and the management of covert and intelligence operations.